Hello everybody, this is Ben from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. My dad and I were lucky enough to interview Victoria Price. We interviewed her at the Munster Bash Vincent Price Film Festival in Canton, Ohio in August of 2019. Both of us really enjoyed talking with her and we hope that you enjoy listening to our interview. Just before we play the interview, we want to apologize for the audio difficulties from the last episode. We realized that we had a few problems and we are doing our best to learn from those problems and make improvements. We want to thank you ahead of time for your patience. Now on to the interview. Welcome to the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. This is Steve Turek with a special episode. Today we're interviewing Victoria Price, daughter of Vincent Price. Um, how are you doing today, Victoria? I'm great. Um, thank you for taking the time out to um, do the interview with us. I know um, a lot of people have a lot of questions that they probably always wanted to know about, not just Vincent Price, but about yourself. And before we start talking about Vincent, you know, your father, um, you have an interesting thing that you've been doing all for your life. You've been doing life coaching, ministry, um, journeying all across the country. I don't know where, where to begin. It's like you seem to have done a little bit of everything. <laughs> I learned that from my dad. People used to call him a renaissance man. And I think that's just because he was interested in a lot of different things. So he was an actor and an art historian and a gourmet chef and a writer. And so I grew up with that. And my mother was the same, interested in many things. And so I grew up thinking... You don't have to just learn how to do one thing and do it. And I've done the same. I've been a designer and a screenwriter and an author and all the other things that you mentioned as well. I've owned an art gallery, been an art historian. and I taught and started a school. So I've loved doing all the things that I've done. And I feel like each of those things taught me something. And I learned that from my dad. I mean, you've had a childhood. A lot of us growing up watching your father and different things would always be what would it be like to be the child of Vincent Price and right. those kind of things because as you were saying in the Q&A session yesterday you didn't have a normal childhood and of course sometimes you probably might be thinking I wish I would have had a normal childhood and sure. other people have normal childhoods wishing I was with that thing but that's just the way it is yes and, exactly and that's the beauty of it all because it makes us all different because if we're all the same what would be the point exactly no I I think I wished I had a little more normalcy like I could go outside and ride my bike and play with other kids on my block and I didn't have that childhood I had it for you know bits and pieces but for the majority I didn't but I got to do so many other things. I got to travel the world with my dad and learn all about art and music and movies. And so, yeah, sometimes I wished I just could be a normal kid, but I was mostly grateful that I had my dad as my dad. I mean, one of the things I noticed when looking at your website, uh, victoriaprice.com, which I think just touches a little bit about, I mean, what you just mentioned here, is, it seems to be 90% more than it was actually on your website, is that a lot of people might not realize you're a minister. Yes, I'm an interfaith, interspiritual minister. And really, I didn't start out going through seminary to become a minister. I really just did it for myself. I, I never felt like I had a spiritual community, and I thought, maybe I can find a community in a group of people who are interested in all the spiritual traditions of the world. But the funniest thing happened. What I learned from my seminary classmates, who I, I sort of call my heart tribe, what I learned is that actually my ministry was and is still within the horror community. And 
what I mean by that is not that I'm a preacher and, and you know, horror fans are my congregation, but I feel like what ministry is really all about is about sharing love with one another. And horror fans taught me that. I, I think before 2011, when I kind of went back out on the road to celebrate my dad's birthday and then became re-involved with the horror community and really jumped in, I felt like I didn't have a community. And now I go to, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 horror events a year. And I really feel like I have a heart tribe in the horror community. And fans of my dad have really supported me in what I love doing. And so I, I really feel like... I wouldn't say I'm a traditional minister in any way, but it really reinforced for me that what we're all here to do is find ways to connect with one another in love. And that's what my dad did through his movies. He made scary movies, but people love them, and they connect with my dad through that love of those films. And, and what's interesting when you say your dad made scary movies, which we'll get to in more detail later, is that most of his movies were not in the horror genre. Right. And a lot of people just, I think, because of the typecast in which he allowed to happen yes. to get work and everything in the 60s and 70s with different um, TV shows, commercials, and guest starring appearances, he was the master, the macabre, yes, and all that stuff. Yes, yes. And through the 80s, and um, it's, a lot of people just didn't realize. It's like he was in the Ten Commandments, the Whales of August, yeah. Laura, none of those. And, and it's like, what, 100 105 films. films. Yeah, and, and, you know, he loved being a villain. And he did play a villain in many movies, but it, they weren't horror movies per se. I always like to call him the lovable cat in some of the yes, films. Yes, very much so. Um, Laura, which we, we watched yesterday, was a prime example to me of that, where he's just this person that you, 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 you he's so debonair, so yes. charming, and he's such a gigolo. Yes. <laughs> Yes, which was such a fun part for him to play. And I mean, I'm going to tie it in with the Whales of August, where again, near the end of his career, and he's playing a gigolo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> with that same charm and right. charisma. And no, very much so. And I just, It's I a just, good connection. I like that you made that connection. That's cool. Which to me is, is my favorite one of his films at the end of his career. Yes. It, it was, it's a shame he didn't get more parts with that meat to him. I know. I agree. But with the ministry, one of the things that had on your website was red shoe ministry <laughs> what, what what how to come to term the, the word in red shoe uh, my seminary dean mentioned uh, that to me one day uh, I was saying we were having a very intense conversation about sort of how do you come back to something that you're not sure you want to come back to and he said well, I think all you have to do is put on your red shoes. And I thought, oh, right. You know, it was this wonderful metaphor that sometimes we feel we're really far away from something, but all we have to do is put on our metaphoric red shoes and we're home. And basically, I live on the road now. I'm intentionally homeless. I live on the road 365 days a year. And so that became kind of a, a symbol for me that... If I put on my metaphoric red shoes, if I make myself at home wherever I am in the world, then I am at home. So as you can see, I'm wearing, they're more maroon today, but they're definitely reddish. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, your shoes pretty much almost match yeah, my yeah, shirt and in the, the maroon carpet, color. They match the theater carpet. <laughs> uh, journeying across the country, it's something you started and actually wrote a book about, the, yes. the importance of being lost. The way of being lost, of being yes, lost. exactly. Yeah, it, it really was, for me, you grow up with famous parents, and people have high expectations of you, and it takes a while for you to separate out what people expect from you with what your heart is asking you to do. 
And we all have that. It wasn't just unique to me. Uh, people have it in different ways. You grow up in a super religious family, people expect you to follow that way. You grow up in a certain kind of community where, let's say, football is valued, you know, and you play football because everybody plays football, and all of a sudden you're like, but I love baseball, or I don't like sports at all. I want to be a musician. And it takes us a while if we're not given permission when we're younger. And it's not necessarily that our parents do or don't give us permission. Society doesn't give us permission. And so really, this was about losing all the things that I had gotten it into my head that I should be and figuring out where my heart was leading me. And to do that, I kind of felt like I had to throw away a lot of things that people think you're supposed to have when you're my age, a home and a traditional lifestyle and a traditional family. And I've been so happy. I've been really happy and I have found an amazing sense of home, all kinds of places. You know, just being here in Canton, we're in this gorgeous, beautiful movie theater and this is my home for the weekend. And it's it's wonderful to be here. And of course you have your lovely traveling companion. Yes, I do. I, I have to say that having a traveling companion, my dog Allie, who's getting big belly rubs right now, <laughs> uh, that makes a big difference. Um, I guess uh, I was telling you before we started recording. Uh, my family, we are dog lovers, and uh -huh. it's just, uh, it's just, you love it when you have that time with them, you yes, know, to enjoy, exactly. and, and you get to be. They're always loyal. They're always there with you when exactly. you're down. They come up. They know exactly how to perk you back up. Totally, and they just, you know, I. Uh, I needed a little nap. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so I went into the movie theater and I just shut my eyes for 20 minutes. My dad taught me that 10-minute power nap. He said, if you can just conk out for 10 minutes, you'll wake up refreshed. So I thought, perfect. So I went in and I shut my eyes and she just hopped up on my lap and there she was, just this calming influence. She was watching the movie and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that folks, she was sleeping during one of her dad's movies. I was, but I've seen it a few times. But I mean, we got to give her credit. I mean, she knew, she knows what was going to happen. I did, I did. And I guess uh, you said something that was rather eloquent. You said it's rather soothing to go to sleep with your dad's voice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I woke up in one of his favorite scenes. He it was Pit in the Pendulum, and he always felt that the one thing that scares men doesn't scare women, but scares men were spider webs. And so in the scene in Pit and the Pendulum, this scene that I woke up during the middle, he walks, he's down underneath that, you know, the castle and he's walking through all these spider webs. He said, women see spider webs as an example of bad housekeeping, but men, it freaks out. Well, and actually it would scare us if, we, if my wife came home and saw a lot of spider webs, I think um, there would be a lot of us in the house that would be suffering the wrath. Ah, yes, <laughs> got it. Uh, now I'm curious, what movies did your dad take you to see? You know, because obviously he wouldn't usually take you to see his movies. No, no. What movies did you get to see growing up and enjoy? Well, I loved musicals, so we often went to musicals. Um, so I remember going to see Oliver. In fact, the beginning of my next book is the very first page is about going to see Oliver and remembering that my whole life. Uh, so I remember going to a lot of musicals, Hello, Dolly, you know. Uh, when I was a kid, I also, I, well, actually a lot of musicals. One time my dad and I went to a double feature of Man of La Mancha and Fiddler on the Roof. Oh my God, it was one of the longest afternoons of my life. At some point, we both looked at each other and we were like, will this ever end? And I was like, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a long double. A really long double feature. <laughs> I, I love both those films, but I don't know if I could do... Back to back, exactly. I don't think it was a wise choice on our part. 
But you live and you learn. Right, exactly. <laughs> and as, as many people said, knowing your limitations is knowing. You know, <laughs> other people will be like, oh, that's great. Other people are like, well, you know, I should yeah. have probably stopped after one. Right, exactly. <laughs> we, I think we both felt that way. That's cool that you both enjoyed the musicals yes, and stuff. Yes, my um, mother too. My son Ben is in acting and has done musicals. He was in Hairspray and my oh, daughter cool. is in theater where she graduated and she's in production. Oh, nice. Behind the scenes thing. So we do lot, we, our family does a lot of theater. We've nice. seen a lot of musicals and um, one of my favorites is Camelot. Yeah. Seven Brides or Seven Brothers and those. So, yeah, I mean, those classic musicals. Which Absolutely. They, they sadly don't make as many as they used no, to No, they anymore. don't. Um, I know you talked about this yesterday, but for our audience that's listening on the podcast, what movies did you like best or your dad like best of, of his? You know, I think different eras, right? So I think the movie that he felt was the most important movie of his career for his career was House of Wax. You know, there was kind of before House of Wax and after House of Wax. After House of Wax, to be in a movie that made that much money, that was in first-run movie houses for over a year, that was a big deal, and it kind of set him up to become the king of horror. Certainly the Poe films and the whole collaboration with Roger Corman was super important for him. I've been told that his favorite was Tomb of Ligeia of those, which is interesting. I know he loved doing Theater of Blood. That was such a special movie. Every actor wants to kill all the critics, and he got to kill all the critics, so that was fun. I I think there were many movies that were important. He often spoke about Laura and what an important film that was to be in that kind of ensemble cast such a great film but also Dragonwick was another really important film for him I know for the first time I saw Laura uh, yesterday and it was just, that was a very good film and, and again I think because I don't want to well in our, when we do our reviews we spoil stuff especially if they've been out for a long right. time <laughs> and you, you, I think a lot of us nowadays as an audience are going to think of him as being the villain the one who does the murder right, and of course he right. is not the one right. but everything is like pointing at him yes yes and I learned from Agatha Christie I was telling Ben it's like I knew right away who it was going to be because Agatha Christie was so big about it's the least obvious person it's the right. one you don't suspect right is always the one who does it and this right. one it's it's pretty much yeah it's got to be this guy right that we left it vague enough so you don't know which guy we're talking about but if you watch <laughs> the film it, it's not that hard to figure out what's right. going on. <laughs> Some movies I'm going to ask you about that I know we love as a family that we've seen before. I think you might have had some on set on, on set experiences like Theater of Blood. Yes. I love that movie. I love with Diana Rigg yes. playing um, two different roles, so right. to speak. And of course, he was the his daughter. Yes, <laughs> and her name was Victoria. <laughs> I know. And I, I, of course, loved Diana Rigg growing up in The Avengers, you know, and I just thought she was super cool. And so for me, thinking, wow, Diana Rigg is playing my dad's daughter and we have the same name, I thought to myself, God, I wonder if I'll grow up and get to be like Diana Rigg, you know. And uh, so, yes, it was fun to, you know, um, get to chat with her about that later on and and share that reminiscence, but also fun to go on the set. And he... uh, 
he was a practical joker, so he set it up so that um, <coughs> the extras came out and uh, pretended to panhandle me for money, you know, and he <laughs> could come to my rescue. It was hilarious. But it was always fun to get to go see my dad in his milieu. But mostly my mom and I really tried to, you know, make it more like that was his job, like a, a regular person. Like kids go in and see their dad at work, but not every day, you know, so... And, and, of course, your dad being traveling a lot, it was even harder for you to yeah. see him at work or see him on a regular basis. Absolutely. So I can only imagine just you go there, and um, I think you shared the story yesterday when you saw him when he was in the theater production of Captain Yes. Peter Pan was playing Captain Hook. Yes. And you were very young, and seeing him in that makeup and everything yes. scared, scared you a lot. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that's why they kind of sheltered you a little bit from that part. Do you have any memories from the Whales of August? I don't. You know, my stepmother was very worried about him during that shoot because he wasn't feeling very well. And, but I know it meant a lot to him. It, it just meant so much to him to be able to have that role. And, uh, yeah, it was a very remote shoot on an island off the coast of Maine. And he wasn't, you know, in 100% health. But I just think he was so grateful to have that part. It was a great, like I said earlier, it was a great part. And he plays... Exactly like you expect Vincent Price to play. The, 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 the lovable rogue who, who Betty Davis basically realized, her character realized, oh, he's a cad. Right. Don't go with him, Lillian Gish. I mean, I mean Lillian Gish, Betty Davis, yes. Vincent Price. and Southern, yeah, amazing. Harry Carey yeah. Jr., I believe, yes. all in the same movie. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. A lot of people don't watch that film, and it's, I know a lot doesn't, happen like right we expect happen, but i think it's such a character piece it and is I, a character piece in in i think it was a beautiful film and I, and I know a lot of people will go to edward scissors hands where thankfully tim burton gave him that great um role in the yes. beginning of the creator <clears throat> and i love that role but i still when i picture him at the end of his career i always pictured the whales of all because mm. it's just it's just the way i want to picture him going, yeah going out like well, I still got that one yes, exactly. family heirloom. I'll have to find somebody else. Yes. You know? and, and, and that's why I picture like, going off into the sunset right. in, the, in his roles. Now, my daughter would kill me. <laughs> Michaela would kill me if I didn't bring up the great mouse detective. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, he was so proud of that part. He loved, he, he felt it was one of his favorite roles. Professor Radigan, the world's greatest criminal mind. And, you know, he loved that the animators used some of his characteristics in animating Radigan. And my dad had such an iconic voice, so to be able to use it for voiceovers. And he'd done a number of animated projects, including um, I just saw that Richard Williams, the great animator, died today. And um, my dad had worked with him on a project called The Thief and the Cobbler for years and years, you know. And so he loved doing animation and loved using his voice like a, an instrument. Which, which we know in, from Thriller and other things. He was just, it was just the way he could just read. I mean, I, I think they say with certain actors and actresses, they could read the phone book yes. and, and people would find it interesting. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, people said that about my dad, and I think it's true. I mean, he could, I mean like I, I've said to you before, there are certain roles in certain films where, to be honest, there's some, some movies he was in were not that great. And, sure. But when he would come on, you would just, he would just steal the show, bring right. it up. He would raise it up. Right. And, um, I think the best example I brought to you was before the um, Dr. Goldfoot and Bikini Machine, oh, yeah. which is only, to my opinion, I and mean, other people might be different, it's only good when he's in it. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> silly, that movie. 
it's silly, but I think it, you could just tell he was just having a, it seemed to me like he was just having a good oh, time yeah, with the role. absolutely, and, and why not? It. You know, I mean, you got to go in and have fun. And um, the other thing I want to ask you about, one last thing. For a long time, he toured doing Oscar Wilde yes. one-man production. I know I've never had a chance to see it. Yeah, there's no video. Oh, that, that there's was an the, audio, but no video. Well, at least there's an audio. Yes. And, um, but uh, did you get the, obviously, I'm assuming you got to see it. Oh, yes, many times, including the first summer it came out. I think it was the best thing he ever did that I saw. It was such a beautiful production. It was so nuanced. And it was such an important gift to him because it gave him the affirmation back of what a good actor he was. Because I think there are certain films, you know, you get in this habit of acting in a certain way and having fun, a little tongue-in-cheek, and, you know, it's, you know, a little silly anyway. And this was such a beautiful part of Oscar Wilde, the very end of his life, telling his life story. Oh, I know. It was just, I just wish I would have been able to, like, yeah. you know, it was recorded for the sea. Because all yeah. I ever hear is such great reviews of Yeah, it was a very portrayal. special thing. And it's just, it's just shame that, I mean, I love theater so much, as I said before, with my family. The sad part about theater, if it's not recorded, it's just... And it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, and, and no, that, it's very true. Gone. All those amazing productions. Think of the things we didn't get to see. And, and never will. And but, never will, right. But then again, we'll see certain theater things. You know, they, they used to say, and my dad used to quote it, actors are like sculptors in ice, you know, without, the, without cell, celluloid. And even some films are gone. But you actually recently, you thought one was gone, and you recently yes. found out it's not yeah. gone. So it's right? No, and then you find things. But I've been, uh, we went looking for a television recording of my parents uh, on Edward R. Murrow's Person to Person, because I don't have much in the way of recordings of my mom. And uh, But that whole stretch, there was a certain stretch of time from that show, all the recordings of that show are gone. I was really bummed, because I always can find my dad, but not necessarily my mom, so... Now, that is sad when you can't get both of them yes, together. Yes, exactly. And it's sad. But I want to thank you again for giving your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. This yeah. is such a cool idea for a podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah, for those that don't know um, um, or listen for the first time, we decide the movies by the rolling of a die, decide what genre we're going to pick, and then we do reviews of them. So it makes it random a little bit there. And um, my daughter, my son, and I pick the movie. Sometimes we have guests that come on, and they'll pick the movie, and um, it really makes it interesting to have the feedback. And we try to get as much different feedback from people, so that way, because you get tired of it being the same old voices. Yeah, no, I think it's a great idea, and I think it's going to be really fun. Okay, thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. Take care. You too. And wasn't that a wonderful interview with Miss Victoria Price? Now, to wrap up this part of the podcast, uh, I'm going to be rolling the die to see who's going to be picking the next movie and uh, what kind of genre they're going to have to choose from. So here we go, everybody. And that is a five. So that would mean I get to pick the movie. And now for the genre, that would be another five. So uh, I have a horror movie to pick from. So I hope you guys look forward to our next episode to see which movie I pick.